On this first Sunday of Advent, we are hearing a scripture from Luke's gospel as we look for a reason to hope in this season of preparation. And we are in chapter 21, and we will begin reading at verse 25. Listen for the word of God. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, This generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God our rock and redeemer. Amen. This past week on Wednesday at my house, it was the Thanksgiving Cook Fest. And my sister and her three children, my two nieces and my nephew, were over. And my nephew is the youngest. He's five. And he wanted to help cook the sweet potato pies. Okay? He wanted to help make them, of course, so he could eat some. And so my daughter put the potatoes in the oven, and in about five minutes he said, Are they ready yet? <laughs> Are they ready yet? And so that went every few minutes. Are they ready yet? No, bud, it's going to be another hour. And, of course, he has no concept of you know, what an hour is. So five minutes later, is it ready yet? And that is the quintessential American child's question this time of year, is it not? Are we there yet? Are we ready yet? How many days to Christmas? And then we layer on top of that, on top of this wonderful childlike expectation, we layer on top of that all of the other expectations that are layered on this time of year. Let me name a few of them for you, and they they may not all apply to you. Um, Actually, some of them come from different phases in my own life. Um, Some apply now still, some don't. 
Um, so maybe you might resonate with some of this. <clears throat> so some of the expectations this time of year are that you have your shopping list ready before Thanksgiving Day so you can go shopping when the doors open at 6, Thanksgiving Day. Right? Um, some of these expectations might be um, that if you are a family that has a tradition of getting a live tree, making sure in getting that live tree the weekend of Thanksgiving so they don't sit on the lot exposed to the vagaries of Texas weather and so it's nice and fresh and will hold its needles. And so that often all takes place on Thanksgiving weekend. And so you can get it decorated. And then sometimes coupled with this are, um, particularly with women, I had a friend whose mother did this when she was growing up, is to try to create a magical holiday experience for one's family and to keep that magic going for a month. And then for some men, it's finding a hideout to get a break from the magic-producing woman in his life, right? It can include all kinds of things, and for those families who are not privileged to have those kinds of options, it's making sure you get on an angel tree list sometime in the fall, way before Thanksgiving, so that your children can have some kind of Christmas. And if you were not able to do that, then fretting over how you were going to find some way to pay for food and gifts for Christmas. And when we name all of these things, <clears throat> it's, it's enough really to make me want to just go sit in a corner and cry. And then we hear this text which could make me want to go sit in a corner and cry, right? Um, this text that sounds so un-Christmas. Instead of beginning at the beginning of Luke, which tells us the story of Jesus' birth, we're at the end. In the days right before Jesus is arrested and executed. <laughs> What is going on with this text? Often the first Sunday of Advent um, has some kind of apocalyptic, apocalyptic text um, to start us off this season. And, and apocalyptic texts talk about the end of the world. What is going on with that? And I think that there, are, um, there is a clue in the word Advent itself, the word Advent, which means coming. And so in the season of Advent, we are actually considering two Advents. We are preparing for the birth of the babe in Bethlehem, but we are also preparing for the second coming. So in a sense... Right now, we live between two Advents. <clears throat> and so this season calls our attention to preparing for both. And so in this text, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's teaching. 
and he is talking about what sounds like the end of the world. Now, there have been several ends of the world, several ends of the world. For the nation of Israel, you can take it all the way back to the Assyrians, and you can draw a line into the Babylonians, and then you can go to the Greeks, and then you can go to the Romans. Multiple periods of destruction, a period of exile. So the world had literally crashed around their ears more than once. And in our own culture, we can think of several ends of the world that have happened. Times when things seem so topsy-turvy that it seems like things just can't keep going the way they're going. And in our own time, as we read the headlines and we hear about the violence, which is close and which is far off, it seems like the end of the world is coming. And yet, in this text, Jesus has words of hope. Lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. Take a look at the fig tree. Because when it begins to bud, when those leaves begin showing, you know that summer is near. There are words of hope amidst all the doom and the gloom. In 1348, the plague came to England's shores for the first time. And after a two-year period, by 1350... England had lost about 30 to 40 percent of its population to the plague. And based on some estimates, that approaches about 2 million people. And there was a woman who lived there during this time that we know by the name of Julian of Norwich because she was an anchorite who lived in a room attached to the church in Norwich called the Church of St. Julian. And in the midst of this apocalyptic scene of rotting crops, of corpses in the street, of people falling ill and within a matter of a day or two dying, Julian herself fell ill. We don't know if it was with the plague or not. But she fell ill. So ill to the point that they call for the priest to administer last rites. And after a little while, she describes feeling no more pain. And then she had a series of visions and she wrote them down, and it's called the Revelations of Divine Love. And she has a striking image here that I want to share with you. This, this quote, it's about a paragraph. It's a bit longer than I usually like to share during a sermon, but I think it is worth hearing on this day 
and during this time. And this is what Julian saw. Our Lord showed me a spiritual vision of his familiar love. I saw that for us, he is everything that we find good and comforting. He is our clothing, wrapping us for love, embracing and enclosing us for tender love so that he can never leave us, being himself everything that is good for us as I understand it. In this vision, he also showed a little thing the size of a hazelnut in the palm of my hand, and it was as round as a ball. I looked at it with my mind's eye and thought, what can this be? And the answer came to me, it is all that is made. I wondered how it could last, for it was so small I thought it might suddenly have disappeared. And the answer in my mind was, it lasts and will last forever. Because God loves it. And everything exists in the same way by the love of God. We need to know the littleness of all created beings and to set at nothing everything that is made in order to love and possess God who is unmade. This is the reason why we do not feel complete ease in our hearts and souls. We look here for satisfaction in things which are so trivial where there is no rest to be found, and do not know our God who is almighty, all wise, all good. He is rest itself. God wishes to be known and is pleased that we should rest in him. For all that is below him does nothing to satisfy us. And this is why Until all that is made seems as nothing, no soul can be at rest. When a soul sets all at nothing for love, to have him who is everything, then he is able to receive spiritual rest. My friends, we're not there yet. But in a fear-ridden time, it is a comfort to know that God holds the whole universe in God's own hand. It's as tiny as a hazelnut. And God loves it. And because God loves it, it will exist. We begin this season of preparation for the babe who comes in the manger but also preparing ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ, who comes not out of anger, but out of love. That is the one we await. Amen.